It'd be great if we could get Stanley on our podcast. Do you think he'd come on? I don't know. Why don't you ask him? You're the one with all the clout in the room. Not true. I do have another donut, though. You're eating those things? They're bad for me, aren't they? Dude, not only are they uh, bad for you, they're bad donuts. That's like the cheap uh, donuts you get in the 7-Eleven that are in the packages that have been sitting there for like, uh, oh, six months. You're eating that stuff. I know. It's like a guilty pleasure. I just found out, Sid, my wife listens to the podcast, and she's like, oh, I listen to the podcast. I find out you eat donuts. You're in trouble now. So I got now. busted. Here's to you, honey. Tell uh, Sid, if you're guilty listening, pleasure. right? Eating a donut. Sid, if you're listening right now, and we haven't had a podcast for a while, just give me a call. I'll tell you what he does when he's at Northern Seminary. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we're back uh, here at the Theology and Mission podcast here in the Griffith Conference non-conference broadcast studio. Wow, we just got through another doctoral dissertation uh, thesis review uh, oral exam, and uh, it was off the charts. That was quite good. We had... Uh Professor John McKnight from famous for acid-based yes. acid community development from Northwestern University. He's now emeritus, of course, but he was just sensational, wasn't he? He had this whole uh, spiel about how the most in or disincarnate thing in the world is a screen. Oh, yeah. You and I were taking me, heavy notes. Which made me uh, immediately uh, write that down and then tweet it out. And, of course, on you were screen. on your screen at the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was great, and uh, I just I'm just very thankful, uh, not only for for John McKnight and people like him who work with our students, but also uh, uh, our students. Uh, we have some outstanding doctoral students, ladies and gentlemen. Yep, we got a lot going on, and uh, like we said before, we have Stanley Hirewas coming to the campus, coming to Chicago, here at Northern Seminary for our annual theology and mission lectureship. Yeah, and that's on Last June year 8th we and had 9th. Michael Frost. And next year, who do we have? Soon Chen Ra. But this year we have Stanley Hirewas answering the question, do we still need the church? He'll be talking about the need for witnesses, the place of the church in yeah, mission. So, it's so going to be great. June 9th, 8th, and, and 9th. 9th. Thursday evening, the 8th. Thursday or Friday morning, the 9th. And there's also a breakfast. I don't know if there's any spaces left from that That's breakfast. Right. But Available uh, live streaming. You can go to seminary.edu slash on mission 17. Yeah, there'll be a lot of Q&A between myself and Stanley as well as I think we're going to have a couple of faculty members engage him in the morning session, right? Yes, I hope so. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to our topic for today, which is does God still need the church for mission or can we do mission? Can we work for justice? Apart from the church, if we're Christians, I think that's a legit question. And it also is the uh, um, the subject for our special uh, intensive course on uh, ministry entitled uh, Topics in Missional Theology. I think we, uh, I think that's a rather boring uh, title for a class. Talk but, to the registrar. But that's, uh, that's a uh, week-long course uh, of which Stanley will be coming and visiting us. And the question here is, folks, um, you know, the church, a lot of people today are discontented with the state of the church. Uh, I'm probably one of them. I'm probably not really ecstatic about what's going on today. No, no, not probably. I am discontented. And there's a lot of uh, people, let's call them millennials, who are saying, you know, the heck with the church. I'm just going to go out and work for God's justice in the world. And so the question posed by these... Or maybe you're a church planner and you're thinking... 
what am I really calling people into? Why am I doing this? Yeah. I mean, are we, is the, you know, that brings up the question, what is the church? These are all the questions we're going to deal with, and not only in this course, but in the lectures with Stanley coming up June 8th and 9th. But uh, so I, I want to suggest that there are oh, four stumbling blocks to the church uh, and, and that, that inhibit the church from engaging in mission that all of us pastors need to be aware of and think through and have our, can I put it this way, our theology straight if we're going to lead our churches to engaging justice issues in the world. And by the way, these are the topics for the class, Topics in Missional Theology 2, coming up in the uh, first week of June that you can sign up. Can they audit the class without... Uh, if you're here in Chicago, you can. Yeah, you can audit the class. It's I'm teaching it. Stanley's going to be dropping in the last part. So I'm the playing class. the role of the listener and the student. I don't know what's on the syllabus. I don't even know what we're talking about today. I'm just going to engage with you. I gave you the syllabus before this I'm podcast. I'm just going to engage you. with you about these topics free-flowing. All right, so I want to talk about the first problem we need to engage if the church is going to be led into mission, and that's the church's um, power problem, or let's, let's put it this way, the problem of triumphalism or the church's relationship to worldly power. That's the first topic. Let me just describe it like this. Often the church wants to align itself with the world's powers, which I would call coercive and violent, being the good Anabaptist that I am. This, let's just call it government, to align ourselves to get the job done, get the job of justice done. So we're going to uh, cooperate with governmental agencies or agencies outside the church. But the question is, to what extent does that impede God's work of justice in the world when we align ourselves with worldly power? So you're saying the church shouldn't have any power? Are you afraid of power? Is power a bad thing, Dave Fitch? You're diverting. No, I'm asking a genuine question that I think people You're deflecting. Ask. When we as Anabaptists talk about worldly power and other things, people get the impression we're against all power. And then they also can get the impression we're against all hierarchy and things like that. So is there a legitimate use of power for the church in society? I think that uh, the, I think the better question is, is there a legitimate time and place when the church can align itself with worldly power to achieve a godly good justice in the world? And I, I want to say two things. I want to say, I mean, we, we got a lot of readings that we're going to go through in the class, but just off the cuff, I'd say two things. One, uh, uh, there are limitations to what the world can do for God's justice in the world apart from God. And those limitations are basically preservatory in nature. They can preserve certain things by providing goods, services, by coercively holding back the forces of evil with, let's say, police force or or judicial uh, legal force or whatever you want to call it. But can they really call people to reconciliation, to renewal, to the realigning of relationships socio-economically, interpersonally, uh, all of the various kinds of relationships we have. No, that's got to be, in, finally and ultimately, the work of Christ and the church. But all that work that can lead up to it is certainly helps move us towards that. And so I would say there are times when we can cooperate, and there are times when that coercion, that violence, 
that legalese, those efforts actually work against the purposes of God. So each time we need to discern how we engage. And that goes for when a church gets involved in um, non-for-profits. That goes when a church starts to cooperate with the government in certain agencies. That goes for how a church cooperates with a police force, helps a police force, encourages a police force, but maybe doesn't engage in the force in a police force. All of these questions are extremely important in how the church brings the salvation of God in Christ into the world. All right, so to switch from being the devil's advocate, you know, maybe I could be the angel's advocate if there is such a thing. Never heard of but that. But yes, I uh, well said, <clears throat> very well stated. I think uh, the temptation for those partnerships, however, is to evacuate the power or the st- or to abandon the story, as Harawas would often say, the the authentic story of God in Christ, who comes, who has power, and yet his way of ministering in the world is to give up power. Philippians two and to suffer at the hands of the powerful, uh, say the trial before Pilate and things like this. And so Christians and the church can so often be tempted to stop being the church and to partner with these other groups and, and become a social align service agency. such that then the question becomes, do we still need the church? Well, no, because we're just sending Christians out to social service centers and government agencies and then we don't need the church, and that's a problem. So what's the second, just to keep well, this moving? Well, but uh, just to clarify, I have to clarify, I hear a problem in what you're saying. Okay. So now you're being you, the you're devil's advocate we give to up, my angel's advocate? Exactly. We give up power, you said, well, in, in essence, or there is a way in which that is true. But on the other hand, the way God comes to work in the world is also power. I term it presence. Through his presence, he realigns the world into a reorganized social reality, uh, calling the world to himself. But that's a different kind of power. And so what I want to say is the world operates on coercive power. God operates on presence. And so we cannot stop being the church just because some coercive powers are actually accomplishing some goods, some mercy, some preservation, in order to lead people to God, we also have to be present, showing people to the ultimate place from which all justice flows to, and that is Jesus Christ. Okay, second Amen. problem. If the first problem was the church's relationship to worldly power, I contend we have to figure out the church's relationship to Jesus. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, how is the church related to Jesus? Thought Another, Jesus was the head of the church, and the church is the body of Christ. What does that mean? That the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Mm, okay, now you're getting a little more specific, but I want to ask... They're constituted as the people of God. Through Jesus. <laughs> and the Spirit. How is the church continuous with Jesus? How does the church extend Jesus, his presence? As Is it as individuals? Or is it as his body? And then how do we avoid this continuity with Jesus how do we avoid it from becoming triumphalist? We have Jesus. We control Jesus. If you want Jesus, this is the only way to Jesus, us, this church. Don't mm-hmm. you think that happens a lot? Right. And so you have these two conflicting impulses. One is to distance Jesus in the church so that no human sinful institution can claim the market on Christ's presence and his activity in the world. Uh, but then you get the opposite impulse to say, well, Jesus and who he is is so dispersed in the world or disconnected from any 
visible institution, and it certainly doesn't seem to be what the New Testament was about. So you closely identify the two, and then you go back and forth. Uh, so how do you strongly identify Jesus and the church as well as the kingdom and the church, as you know we yes. often talk about, but then make that a humble, mutually submissive um, kind of posture in which we witness to who Christ is right. rather than a dominating, we have the answers and everyone else shut up and listen to us kind of posture. Yeah, and so this is very important uh, for pastors, leaders of churches to get and understand is how are we an extension of Jesus as the body of Christ in the world? How do we uh, actually make space for him to be Lord of our not only our lives individually, but this space in the world. Uh, and that's where justice will come when Jesus actually reigns in and through his presence in the world. So that's the relationship of the church to Jesus. I feel like we have de, this is an Alan Hirsch idea, de-Jesusified the church and made him into a belief or made him into a personal relationship instead of a social embodied presence where he rules over us as a people that are active in the world. Now, I contend that changes the way you see church, and I think we need to recapture that. But there's a problem because a lot of people, especially Protestants, go back to say, well, aren't you doing the Catholic mistake all over again? You know, they said Jesus is in the Eucharist, and we control the Eucharist, and so Jesus is here, and he's only here, and you better come here if you want Jesus. Well, that's where I think when we emphasize that the church is the body of Christ, we need to immediately remember that the manner in which Jesus' body ministered among us was as a suffering servant who ultimately was broken. And so we, as the body of Christ, are the broken body of Christ where we are confessing our sins. We're the only human institution that front loads the fact that we fail at being the institution in which we are called to be. We fail to be Christ's body, which is partly the main way we're constituted as Christ's well, body. I think you're getting a little cute there. And it's no way, then it's back confusing. to the Eucharist. This is my body broken for you. And then we always pray, you know, Holy Spirit, take these elements and make us the body of Christ. But it's to make us the broken body of Christ. The church is for right, broken people. Right, Am I right. wrong? Uh, no, you're not. You're no. not wrong. All right. Are uh, they for crazy people? Uh, Mixed I'm up not people? You, but, um, okay, I actually uh, All right, what's the third on? one? Uh, so if the first one was the church's relationship to worldly power, I think you all need to figure that out. You all being pastors, leaders, Christians church's relationship to Jesus. I think you all need to figure that out. We all do. And then thirdly, church's relationship to culture. And here I want to make point of the issue of colonization or colonialism. Often when the church engages culture, it it is. It says it is a culture, and therefore it enforces its culture as authoritatively Christian for all peoples, for all cultures. And so the typical missiological problem has been, ah, we are Christians. Our culture is Christian. Therefore, we're going to go to another culture, another context, and enforce our culture on that context, not understanding that we have to enter a context, a culture, and discern carefully what God is doing in that culture so that in uh, in some way, in the words of Daryl Guder, the church is being converted all over again. 
we are engaging a culture. And really, we are now in North America in the last 25 years, no longer a culture. We are a a um, myriad of cultures, plural. And so every town, every village, every place, every city, we have to engage the culture and discern what God is doing and engage it in such a way that in actuality the church is being converted as a culture all over again. Does that make sense or was that too uh, uh, conceptually uh, um, described so that no one understands it except well, maybe me and I'm not even so sure I understand it. Go ahead. You're, you're drawing attention to the difference between missions and mission that, you know, we no longer need to primarily or singularly think of overseas missions as that place that uh, cross-cultural missionaries go and they need to learn certain skills about language and culture and things like that. But pastors who stay in the states don't need those skills because they're, you know, uh, you know, they don't need that. And I think we're well beyond uh, that kind of understanding. I'm so glad that here at um, Northern Seminary, we, as as part of the curriculum, make every pastor, minister, and training take a theology of church and culture class, where you have to grapple with these issues because it's not straightforward. I think also too. I would just add to this, I don't know if this is where you're going, but I think it also says that we in the West are a culture, but also a culture in need. We have, if we look at the flow of missions, back to that again, people are sending missionaries to the United States. Oh, yeah. Uh, and this is a place that needs uh, missions, but we are also in need culturally. I think we had this great uh, doctoral student on uh, that we were examining uh, yesterday about the Asian American context and North America and how this all went. And part of my realization was, is there's a lot of Eastern culture that can help the uh, problems of Western culture of the hyper individualism and uh, obsession with guilt and, uh, you know, and things like that. So like, can we understand that our culture is in a sense needy uh, and could benefit from being exposed to other cultures? Okay. So this gets me to my next, uh uh, issue of church. Engaging. All right. So, quick review: relation to power, relation to Jesus, relation to culture. Okay. So these and are now two derivative of the last one. What's the church's relationship to context? Now, I just changed the word from culture to context because now I'm asking the question of accommodation. How how do I find? How do I engage the surrounding culture? Find the right entry points. Translate the gospel without becoming absorbed and assimilated by the surrounding culture. Is it like the question of proclamation then, or is it more than that? Or Well, uh, it's, it's now we're talking about contextualization, and, and, the, and the key point is contextualization is not correlation necessarily or accommodation. It is how do I know uh, and understand what's going on in the context and find entry points, points of confluence where the gospel speaks to an enduring or actual question or something that's already going on in the culture. And yet, I don't want to be absorbed by the categories of culture. We call this in theology, church, and culture the dialogue box. Um, And we want to, everyone's got to own that they come into a surrounding context with certain givens that come from their history, even if they're from that specific context. But also, there are things going on in the context where God is already at work that we need to discern. Now, not everything that's going on in the context is of God. There's there's rebellion in the context. There's even evil and um, maybe sinister 
um, things going on that are against God in the context. But there are also things where there's longings, yearnings, actual goods that are happening there that not only God says, hmm, I'm at work here in a provenient way, but I'm going, I want to take this somewhere. And that's where the gospel can proclaim and bring the, uh, the completion of an incomplete reality, if that's what you want to say in a context, or reflect that this is the beauty of God at work that you didn't fully understand until you saw Jesus, you know, so it's contextualization. Whereas I'm talking about the problem of colonization with the culture question. Now I'm talking about translation and engagement with the context question. Does that make sense? It does. So really quick, uh, for those last two, understanding the culture and then contextualizing appropriately, what are some of the skills or where can people look to bolster their ability to do that? To Besides just coming here and getting a doctoral in contextual theology or an MA in theology and mission. Besides those two wonderful options, what can people do to better equip themselves Well, you know, contextual ministry? We just went through uh, a doctoral exam, oral exam in contextual theology, where we had a guy listen to his neighborhood in Canada there, and uh, he saw, and, and, and he's part of a church, and um, he saw how things were getting individualized uh, in a context, and and therefore they were losing out on their ability to do uh, to understand their gifts in the way God has ordered the gifts to be mutually engaged and bless one another. And so he was reflecting off of that development in a context, but he was also bringing the. Uh, the, the understanding and belief and, and proclamation that God is bringing, that Jesus as Lord, Ephesians chapter 4, gives, gives gifts to the people, sets them into motion for the flourishing of his people and his kingdom. So anyways, that's an example of how you got to go and listen and, and imaginatively uh, allow God to speak through Scripture and all the, of the, the stuff that you've grown up with, learned, lived, um, studied, at church, in seminary, in your own Bible study, and, and allow God to see what's going on there. And then engage the community and call them into the kingdom uh, based on that contextual um, work. So on that, so your answer, I'll give my answer right here, but uh, your answer is to kind of ask great questions within the context, be super focused. And I would say ethnography, ethnography then yes. theologically reflect. And I'd say the theological reflection that I'd want to uh, suggest for all of us is to broaden our cultural horizons. Can we read theology outside of our Western context? Mm. And I would say Simon Chan's uh, Grassroots Asian Theology is a great book to help us do that. It's like a Pentecostal evangelical book that looks at how theological reflex, reflection and practice is happening on the ground in Asian context. You've been reading a, a lot of uh, Emmanuel Katangale and um, Kwame Bediako. Kwame Bediako. As far as African theologians go. And so those would be... Ah, we'll be reading those places. in this class, by the way. And then what's that? It's not. I'm missing um, Donovan. What's that book? Vincent Donovan. Who's Vincent a, Donovan's. Who's a uh, British missionary who eventually lived in the U.S. But what's the name much, of that book? Um, ah, I'm not prepared. Rediscovering 
discovering Christianity? I think it is. It's either discovering Christianity or rediscovering Christianity. And the reason I throw those out there is because as you start hearing what does the gospel look like in other contexts, that'll help you look at your own local context through these ethnographic um, practices that uh, Dave was talking about. And then you'll say, oh, you know what? That is happening here. I see these things here, but I wouldn't have been able to see them if I hadn't exposed myself to other non-Western cultures and the questions that they're asking and the way that Christ is interacting with those. So those would be our two proposals. Dave says, super focused questions, ethnography, I say, broad reading in theology, global Christendom, and and exposing ourselves to God's work all over the world. Yeah. we're also reading Lamb and Santa. We're also reading, as you Translating said, Kwame Bidiako, uh, African theologians uh, that help us understand how to see, think through cultural engagement, ethnography, other ways God's working, other categories. I mean, we have very Western, very even Euro-American uh, soteriological categories, even, even ecclesiological categories. Uh, and to break out of them, we have to read elsewhere. And and it's so important for today if we want to engage our cultures because, uh, as I emphasized, cultures is going on all around us. Okay, we got to wrap this up because we're taking too long on this podcast. But the last of the five things we have to overcome for leading church in the mission is, is the idea of the church's relationship to justice. I said that. Yes, I said it. The church's relationship to justice. Not only church's relationship to worldly power, Church's relationship to Jesus, church's relationship to culture, church's relationship to context, church's relationship to justice. And the big question here is, is justice integral to God's mission? Second question, can we know justice, true justice, God's justice, apart from knowing God and seeing it actualized in the church? Can, in that way, I mean... The answer is no. Obviously, because... (laughs) If you've listened to us, I wouldn't, be, answering, I wouldn't yeah, yeah. be asking the question. <clears throat> so all these five things. But can I just fill, are you okay. fill that in? Go ahead. I'm just going to say the church is a hermeneutic, according to John Howard Yoder. The church is the means by which we actually know, receive God's righteousness, i.e. his justice. His way of ordering social social reality is revealed in Christ to the church. And so it plays itself out in the church first. So the way I relate to you. In regards, in, in regards to money, in regards to conflict, in regards to uh, the way I see you and your race, the way I see you in terms of your ethnicity, the way I relate to women, the way I relate to other races, ethnicities. It's getting, uh, I have a hard time pronouncing words at 12 o'clock in the afternoon without lunch. Um, I uh, Excuse me for that. Um, but you understand, we have to socially see it and work it out to understand it in the world and engage it then contextually to go back to the prior question. Can't jo- Comment, Jeff. Can we know justice outside of God in Christ through well, the church? And I think that that's a great way to frame it. A lot of times we want to say, well, let's get about the business of justice as a church. But sometimes maybe what the church has to offer the world is not how to do justice, but rather a better definition of what justice is. And that's where the first kind of maybe conversations should start is justice, maybe for the conservatives, uh, just punishing the criminal appropriately, uh, or is justice for the more progressives overcoming all equality, or is it even more than that? And I think Christians would say it's more than that. It's the restoration of, of relationships. It's the making of all things right. It is 
overcoming evil in the world and things like that. And so it is a new kind of social being. Right. On every level. And so, uh, at, which is accomplished in Christ, not just accomplished, but is prefigured. He's offering us true humanity. Uh, and so he yes. became sin. That could be its own podcast right there. He became sin. Um, so that he, we could he, receive the righteousness of God. Yeah, but what's between the elements? That was the point I wanted to get. So that we become, we he who was not sin became sin for us. Yes, so, so that, that we, we might be, receive the righteousness of God. So that we God. might become is the right verb and the right tense of the verb, and the and and the declension. We it's social reality becoming His righteousness before the world to invite the world in, and that means. That we too often, I feel like here we in the West have a Western Christendom confidence that the world knows what justice is. And I, if there's anything we found out in the last since last November's election, is there's a lot of people. Uh, I think we might disagree with a lot of people as to what they assume justice is and what it looks like. In fact, ironically, a lot of the people I might disagree with in the world are people who are saying, I'm a Christian and this is what justice looks like. No, we need to discern justice again as a people before God in Jesus Christ so that we can live it out in the world and call people to it and work for justice in the world. Okay, so those are the five things that every pastor, leader, Christian, seeking to lead churches into uh, into the mission need to understand about the church are you going to repeat them for me the five things no you got them written down right there for you no i want you to repeat them because you've been distracted this whole podcast i was just checking your tense there you said it's present tense but i don't know if it is present tense there in uh second corinthians five twenty one. so but uh is so what is our relationship to power what is our relationship church's the church's relation relationship to power. power church's relationship to christ jesus Jesus, the church's relationship to culture. Fourth is contextualization. The fifth church's is justice. Ooh, I aced the test. Church's relation to justice. We're going to discuss I all five of those test. things, and do a lot of good. Have a lot of good readings on all five of those issues. Now, of course, you'll become experts at all of these if you continue to listen to our podcast because we just go over the stuff with different topics left and right. That's basically all we ever do in our That's podcast. Not true is go over those five things, which is okay if. This podcast or others in the past has benefited you. We would love for you to write us a review. Of course, I got to say, if this is something you're in, these things are are what get you up and you want to think about them and work them into your ministries, we do have a live streaming master's program in theology and mission that is available. We're taking enrollment right now. And then, Dave, you're going to be opening up your doctoral program uh, very soon. And so, if you're actually, we're already taking applications. So, but if I need you already to post have your master's degree, yeah. If you, uh, and it doesn't have to be an MDiv; it could be a master's degree plus ministry experience. And you want to take this to and that ethnography piece that sounds interesting to you, and you really want to burrow into that, then please uh, head on over to the seminary site at that's northern site is the seminary.edu. Go over to the programs page. You can find all this information. Doctor of Contextual Theology, and and uh, we'll be taking apps. Uh, well, we already are taking apps for that. Absolutely. So again, Harawas question, Richard. June eighth and ninth. Go to seminary.edu on slash on mission seventeen for the Harawas lectureship. Yes. If students want to audit or even take uh, topics in missional theology too uh, on these five topics, contact us immediately. And uh, they can sign up. Maybe you're at another seminary and you just like to take it for credit uh, and you can cross-register or whatever you like. 
Uh, we invite you to do that. We look forward to seeing Stanley Hauerwas at the Mission uh, Theology Mission Lectureship coming June 8th and 9th. And uh, so this brings it to a close, another Theology and Mission uh, podcast. Don't we do uh, books you're reading anymore? We do, but we've been so busy and... Now I'm on a sugar crash because I had those donuts 30 minutes ago. So we got to hey, wrap it up. Don't we do a Fitch on Fitch anymore? What have you called that? I've thing? been too busy. These things take preparation. You came in your thing. I pressed play. I started. That's about all I got right now. I got Ladies it. and gentlemen, this has been the most disorganized podcast of our entire Theology and Mission podcast. Nonetheless, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, put your comments on, on the um Think page reviews on iTunes. On Thank iTunes, you so much. and uh, we'll see you next time on Theology and Mission podcast.